This is a way that we earn one another's names. So I know some of you are like, I hate doing this. I'm tired of doing this already. I don't care. Uh, we love you. And part of this is facilitating other people knowing your name. And it's really important. So if you would take a moment to fill that out, even if there's nobody else on your row, all this does is help other people to walk around after service and find you and get to know you. Uh, warm welcome in Jesus' name. My name is Jeff Bradford, and I want to welcome you to Christ's uh, worship this morning and being among his people. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to God's word. If you would find in your bulletin, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, or it'll be up on the screen up here, and we're going to read God's word aloud together. So, let the people of God read the Word of God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or what person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My family suffered uh, with an earworm this year. If you're not familiar with that, we watched Encanto, Encanto, Encanto uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with the word earworm, or uh, also called stuck song syndrome, brainworm, sticky music, and of course, you know what I'm talking about, the song, we don't, yeah, I'm going to say it, I'm going to ruin your day, we don't talk about Bruno, right, we, this is the earworm song that got stuck in everybody's head from that movie, but the genius of that movie was actually, uh, I, I would I would say not Lin-Manuel Miranda's song, The, Ear, the Earworm, uh, but actually his, his depiction of family relationships and his depiction of how families work and then how they don't work. Uh, I don't know if you have seen this movie, but um, in, in the movie there are multiple characters that sort of demonstrate in a really, uh, a, a really uh, incredible way the way that people who are insecure about love that they have within their family respond. So you have Louisa, who's the really strong sister, who, not sure of her family's love for her, thinks she has to be strong all the time and carry things and not let anything drop. And you have uh, Isabella, who, again, not sure of the family's love for her, feels like she has to be perfect all the time in every way. And you have Bruno, because we don't talk about Bruno, but we're going to talk about Bruno, uh, that... You know, Bruno, who takes up a lot of emotional space in the family and yet is absent. And you have uh, Mirabelle, who has a really special gift but feels shame and unworthy of the family's love. And this, the movie is just brilliant in holding up all these fam this family that, where people are really unsure. And they feel like they have to work or prove their worthiness to receive love. Now, I, today we're almost done with our preaching series going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' uh, famous message. I've called it best ser sermon ever, not talking about mine, but his. 
And as we're coming through, we're almost done with this, and we're coming, what I think is, to the very, very heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And and multiple times, this is the third time now, we have been called by Jesus to a particular posture toward God. If you remember in chapter 6, Jesus lays out, this is the way I want you to pray, Father. And a couple weeks ago, we looked again where Jesus calls us not to be filled with worry, but instead trust, again, our Father. And today we hear again that language of Father, of going to our Father, asking, seeking, and knocking at the door of our Father in prayer. And it begs the question, and it's maybe the most important question I could ask you this morning, one of the most important questions of your life is, do you have a real relationship with God, a vital relationship with God, one that is really founded in the security of God's love for you. If you don't talk to God regularly, let's, let's talk about a friendship for a second. Let's say you have somebody that you call, this person's one of my best friends. And you say that, you label that person that way, but you never talk with each other. You don't have a friendship, you have history. Do we view prayer speaking to God with the same kind of intensity and intentionality and intimacy that we would say with a close friend? Do we have a vital, do you have a vital relationship, a real relationship, a intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father? This is what Jesus is holding out for us this morning. When he calls us to this kind of prayer, uh, this kind of posture, like the woman who was hemorrhaging blood, and she makes her way through the crowd, and she just says, nothing's going to stop me from touching the hem of his robe. Are we those kind of people in prayer? Nothing's going to stop me from laying hold of Jesus. Nothing's going to stop me till I can get to him. Do you have that confidence? So we're going to walk through this passage together because I want you to hear three things. The invitation to prayer. I want you to hear the unbelief that oftentimes trumps our prayers. And then the one who prays for you. The one who prays with you. So here's the invitation that calls for prayer. And You know, sometimes when I preach, I've got to like do all this homework and I've got to kind of help you understand this passage. This one just almost preaches itself. Right? It doesn't take a whole lot of interpretation on this. Jesus says, ask and seek and knock, and it will be given to you. That's kind of it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't you wish? You know? Now, I've got a lot still to say. Of course I do. Right? You know? um, but these aren't, just, um, these aren't just statements. These are imperatives. Jesus is commanding us. These these are commands for us to follow. There's an urgency to this. Ask, seek, knock. It's this demand. Jesus is saying, he's calling us to pray with this kind of persistence. And the verbs aren't just commands. They are continual commands. So the tense of it in the original language is this. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Persistence over and over. What is in view here is bugging God. You know, it's like the child who says, Mommy, 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 mommy. 
daddy, 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 daddy. Right? That's what's in view here. Do you know some of those kids? Were you some of those kids? Right? See, the prayer that Jesus invites us to is the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of being able or prepared or sufficient or wise or strong. This is, I need you prayer. I can't do it prayer. Uh, I can't change anyone prayer. I can't do it on my own prayer. And what's the response from, from God? It sounds too good. Right? It sounds too good. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus, are you saying you're handing out a blank check? You know, are you crazy? You've probably heard this preach before. I bet some of you have taught this before. And everybody who's not a, uh, a, a health and wealth prosperity gospel preacher feels like they need to edit Jesus. Well, let's not take this out of hand. Like, Jesus, you, you're taking things a little far. This sounds like a very blanket statement. Let's qualify this a bit. Uh, and of course, you know, we'll say, that doesn't mean you can ask God for a Rolls Royce. Right? Uh, of course we qualify. Jesus only means we should ask God for churchy things. Right? But I am struck about how Jesus doesn't seem at all preoccupied with the fine print. He doesn't do the used car commercial. With There's none of that at the end of his words here. It's unqualified. And it's, it's starkly so. And I think it's meant to be unqualified to address a particular problem of unbelief in our hearts. I think that Jesus doesn't want to pull the punch on this. And of course, you, you know, if you're, you want to really take me on after the service, you can say, well, you know, look at this in the context and you'd be right. And we'd say like Matthew 6, yes, seek first the kingdom. We read it in light of that, blah, 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 right? But you know what? I'm not worried about this congregation taking things too far. I'm just not. I'm not worried about you taking this out of hand, uh, asking God for crazy things. I'm, I'm rather worried, and I think Jesus phrases his words because he knows our hearts that our problem is not going to be asking too much, but filled with unbelief where we ask way too little. You know, what do you hear, what do you think when you're, you're you over here, let's, okay, it's not your kid, right, or and it's not somebody you know, but you're at the mall, you're at the store, and you hear the child go, mommy, 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 or daddy, 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 daddy. I mean, what do, you, what do you hear the parents say? So often, this is what we say to our kids. I heard you the first time, right? We, I heard you. You don't have to keep saying my name. And, and we send a message to our children, don't be persistent, you're bugging me. And I'm not here to shame anybody's parenting this morning. I'm just saying that we are discipled to think that's how we are with God. That mommy, 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 mommy is actually bad praying when Jesus says that's great praying. Daddy, 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 daddy. That's actually great praying. This is what he calls us to do, to bug God. In fact, he tells a parable about this in Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Uh, here's the preamble that Luke says. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they, listen, should always pray and not give up. He tells the story about this uh, widow who bugs an unrighteous judge for justice and is just 
over and over and over, bugging this unrighteous judge. And it says, Jesus says at the end, uh, this is what the unjust judge says. You know, he gives, her, he gives her what she's due. He gives her her day in court because of her persistence. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out for him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I mean, what's the point? This is what Luke says, to, pray, to show that we should always pray and never give up. So here's my question, very simple for you. What are you bugging God about right now? Are you bugging God about anything? My, my, my guess is that like, you're very much like your pastor. One and done. <laughs> I asked once or twice, but what are we bugging God about? That's the invitation of this passage. Bugging God. So I want to address, and I think this passage addresses very helpfully for us, the unbelief that's in our hearts that trumps prayer, that trumps our prayers. And and it looks like this. Um, Here's where Jesus pushes us. First, unbelief about God as Father. God as Father. Now, of course, lots of people pray in this world. Lots of people who aren't Christians pray. Lots of people pray before a test. They pray around, you know, things, when things are really hard and uncertain. Lots of people will toss up prayers and be like, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But Christian prayer, this is the difference. Christian prayer is rooted in relationship. It's about relationship. Notice how Jesus speaks the Sermon on the Mount about God as Father. He says over and over again, If your son asks for bread, will you give him the son? If he asks for a fish, will you give him the snake? If then you then, know who are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Prayer is a relational connection between a parent and a child. So it falls to the parent to respond in the way that is best for the child. Right? If we ask for bread, God, God will always do this. If we ask for bread, He will not give us a meaningless stone or a harmful serpent. He's a good father. Uh, remember Encanto? You know, uh, I know many people were really moved by that movie. Some of you cried in that movie. We're moved to tears because of how that made you feel about your own family. And yet, yet, I think it goes deeper than that. How many of us carry around that same kind of uncertainty with regard to God's love for us? I mean, how many of us are like Louisa, who, who are not confident of our Heavenly Father's love for us, and think that we need to be strong and carry everything? And we pray when everything finally falls down. Or how many of us are like Isabel, who think we need to be perfect all the time? And it's only when we actually are at the end of our rope that we actually begin to turn toward God as Father. Or, or how many of us are kind of ghosts like Bruno? And, and you know, we don't, we're not even sure that we should be in the same building with our Father. We're not even on speaking terms. Or how many of us are like Mirabel, who are filled with shame? Yeah, I, I think that you could apply all of those characters to the relationship that we have with our, our Father. So fellow Madrigals, <laughs> listen to Jesus. This Father withholds no good thing. He loves, He will give you what you need. And I know that is really tough logic for many of us. That's tough logic because not everybody has a model of a good Father. But let me explain something about the language of Scripture. God always puts the cookies on the bottom shelf for His people. 
When we read God's word, we read about a transcendent God of the universe who is beyond all time and space. And yet God always uses language that his children can understand. All of his children, the little ones, can understand. He speaks this language for us. So God, in describing heaven, describes it in language we can use. You know, streets of gold, that is not literally what heaven is. Uh, God as a father and a king, Jesus as a lamb, you know, the Holy Spirit as a wind, a fire, a small voice, all this language is cookies on the bottom shelf to help our finite minds understand what is infinite. So is God aware of how loaded the term father is for us? What do you think? I think he is. I think he knows that maybe the most powerful relationship we have in this life is a parent-child relationship. And so God, aware of the risks, uses that term. Jesus, aware of the risks of that, uses that term. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? You know, it's, it's hard because we know we can't help. This is a, a comparison of the, from the lesser to the greater. And we can't help in our frailty from transferring some of what we know of the earthly onto the heavenly. Don't we do that? So if you had an absent father, you had a distant father, you had a, a workaholic father, you had an abusive father, it's hard for us not to transfer that, isn't it? Can I say a word to you as your pastor, if that's, if that's you this morning? Jesus knows that. And he's actually speaking into that by using this illustration. He's speaking into that. And I want to show you this. I want you to pivot off the ache. Pivot off the longing. Pivot off the unmet desires. Because that's what Jesus is inviting us to. Jesus doesn't say, cheer up. God is, he's better than, a better father than the bad father you know. Jesus says, he's better than the best father anyone could have. He's better than the best one. Even the best fathers are flawed. Even the best parents miss it. I can testify as a parent how much you want to connect with the hearts of your children and don't know how. That's a regular thing as a parent. Are we doing the right thing? I don't know. Isn't this what parents do? Even the best of parents? And I'm not holding myself up as the best of parents. But Jesus says something really radical here. I mean, we would say, yeah, we're kind of flawed, imperfect. Jesus says evil, ah, right? Ouch. Jesus says evil. He's saying like even evil parents, like the best ones, pale in comparison to who our father is. And so he invites us to pivot off this. He invites us to take the longings that you have that testify to what you're designed for with your heavenly father and to take that and say that's what god is like my longings are a testimony to what i really really what god has designed me for in relationship with him so you know that pain i, I don't want to minimize anybody's pain i i you know uh, i can't if you say i can't think of god as father it's too hard jesus says to you that pain is exactly why you should think of god as father 
points us to the deepest longing we have. He is exceedingly better. Second, unbelief that quits waiting. Now, um, I'm sorry, not sorry for getting all English teacher on you twice in one sermon. I've already talked about verb tenses. I know, right? How am I doing that on a Sunday morning? Um, but I want to I show you this. Um, the asking, seeking, and knocking, those are present tense. But uh, will receive, will find, will be opened. Come on, class, where are we now in the what tense? The future tense. And there's a problem between that because those are not the same tense. And we experience this all the time. Like endemic to the statement is waiting and in between. I hate waiting and I hate in between. I am a master at measuring Costco lines for the fastest ones. I get mad when the apps on my phone don't work. You know, I hate it when my debit card, I have to swipe it twice. Right, like waiting? I am not good at waiting. We are trained not to wait. And our hearts are naturally given to like hate in between. But waiting, Jesus is showing us that waiting and in between are part of it. Lucy Shaw writes this. She says, this is how waiting works on us. Anticipation lifts the heart. Desire is created to be fulfilled. Perhaps not all at once, more likely in slow stages. I love that. Waiting time, is God, God's not being mean. It's not wasted time. It's persistent prayer time. It's pruning time. It's maturation time. Persistent prayer, like Jesus commands, presumes waiting. There's a, a, a time difference between the asking and keeping on asking and seeking and keeping on seeking and knocking and keeping on knocking and the will-be's. Right? What if it is in the waiting that we actually get the good gifts that are promised us? What if that's part of it? I mean, notice Jesus doesn't say, knock and you'll get exactly what you knocked for. Seek and you will get exactly what you sought out. You know, he doesn't say that. There's part of this wedding. He says, you will get good gifts, though. You will get good gifts. Prayer is a journey in which we, God gives us what we need even in the waiting. And what about when God says no? Um, what, when waiting seems like it doesn't work? Um, of course, an, an abusive parent is one who fails to provide what their child needs, but an equally abusive parent could be one who provides everything the child wants. Everything the child wants. Um, if God gave all I ask, I would be an abusive parent. He would be an abusive parent. I mean, you know how Chick-fil-A is like crack cocaine for children? They mix that in with the peanut oil and the breading and Chick-fil-A nuggets, right? And like little kids, they love Chick-fil-A and adults too. I mean, peanut oil is my only essential oil. <laughs> right, but if, I, if my kids, if we ate at Chick-fil-A as much as we all wanted to eat at Chick-fil-A, we all know what we would look like. See, when we give... Th- we give our children what they need because we know better. I love how the preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones puts this. He says, I thank God, and I'm going to put this really bluntly. I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything I may chance to ask him. And I say that as a result of my own past experience. Am I 
past life, I, like all others, have asked often God for things and asked God to do things which at the time I wanted very, very much and which I believe were the best things for me. But now, he's an old man at this point, standing at this particular juncture in my life looking back, I say I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I ask. He shut certain doors in my face. At that time, I didn't understand, but now I know, and I'm grateful to God for it. Sounds a lot like Garth Brooks. Okay, like two of you got that. All right, you look him up, okay? Thank God for unanswered prayers. Come on. Sometimes when you're talking to the man upstairs, even though he doesn't answer, doesn't mean he don't care. I'll try it. I'll sing it, I'll sing it for second service if you'll stay around. All right, but I, I, mean, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think he's talking about an old girlfriend. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Some of y'all should stand up and give praise right now. Stand up and give testimony right now in our church for the things that you asked for. The people you asked for that were bad news for you. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Okay, a couple of honest people here this morning. Thank you, right? But seriously, the same good father who withholds no good thing is the same good father who does not give bad things. You know, we're asking for what we think is bread, but really is a serpent. And God's like, I'm not going to give you a serpent. And you've been asking for a serpent. There's an old Puritan prayer that includes some of the same testimony. I thank thee that many of my prayers have been refused. I've asked amiss and do not have. I have prayed for, from lusts and have been rejected. I have longed for Egypt and have been given a wilderness. This is what the, the Puritan says finally. Go on with thy patient work, answering no to my wrongful prayers and fitting me to accept it. Waiting time, it's not wasted time. It's pruning time. It's daddy, 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 daddy time. Third, unbelief that comes from cynicism. I want to address this, this last way that we deal with our prayers. And this is, a, I'm going to call it heads, I win, tails, you lose. Okay, so I want you to picture, I've got a, I got a quarter, and we're going to play that game See who gets, who gets to go first. So I'm going to flip the coin. I'm going to call it heads I win, tails you lose. Now, what does that mean? I always win and you always lose, right? <laughs> and uh, that's what we do so often in how we evaluate what God is doing in our lives. This is from C.S. Lewis in his book, Screw Tape Letters. He says, if, and, and this is the advice of a senior devil writing to a junior devil, about how to deceive and discourage Christians. This is what he says. If the thing that the Christian prays for doesn't happen, then that is one more proof that the petitionary prayer doesn't work. If it does happen, the Christian will, of course, be able to see some sort of physical cause which led up to it, and therefore, quote, it would have happened anyway, and thus a granted prayer just becomes a, as good a proof as a denies, denied one that prayers are ineffective. Now, what is he saying with that? I know that's old language. He's saying we do this with God. Bing, heads I win, tails you lose. And I look at what the circumstances are in which something came about that I actually did pray for, and I'm able to do an inner game of chess where I'm like, it would have happened anyway. I can assign naturalistic causes. Oh, that person remembered me this morning and called me. And therefore, what do we do? Checkmate, God, heads I win, tails you lose. And we evaluate and therefore dismiss God so quickly, even in areas where we see God answering our prayers, 
because we're able to work our way out from underneath them. Um, See, that ever occurred to you? Have you wrestled with that? Okay, I'm all alone up here this morning. It's okay. Um, You know, some events can be explained by naturalistic explanations. But it's funny because I find the people, uh, and I'm talking about the home team this morning, who believe the most of Christians, of all the, the family, of, family tree of Christians, the, the ones who sometimes believe the most in divine sovereignty or predestination or God's power over all things are some of the worst prayers. Because we do this little internal game of chess. It would have happened anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I prayed about it. God would have done it anyway. I mean, that's folly. Why is that folly? Because Jesus commands us. The very Lord of the universe, who is himself in charge of all things, before all time, seated now at the right hand of the Father, prays on our behalf, commands us to pray and keep on praying, daddy, 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 daddy. Right? I mean, don't use Calvinism as a checkmate for prayer. Uh, It was Calvin himself who wrote this, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Calvin had a great prayer life. Why? Because he was confident that God was in control of all things. So he was one of those people who's like, if God is really this powerful and in control, and if God commands me to pray, those things go together. They don't work against each other. They don't cancel one another out. Cynicism. This heads, heads I win, tails you lose. It makes God out to lose, and you lose. It makes God out to lose, and you lose, and it leaves us prayerless. And by contrast, um, F.B. Meyer wrote this. He said, the greatest tragedy is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. You didn't get stuff because you didn't ask. I, I wonder sometimes if when I die and I go up here before Jesus in heaven, if he won't be like, um, hey, don't look over there. What's over there? Well, I got a room full of stuff over there. What's in that room? Well, that's all this. I mean, you, you had a great ministry and you got to see a lot of cool things happen, but that, that's all the stuff that I wanted to give you, but you never asked for. That's all the stuff I wanted to do in your life and in the lives of people, but you forgot to ask. You didn't ask. I mean, what a tragedy. We don't have because we don't ask. Finally, Jesus who prays for us. I want you to think about who is inviting us to pray this morning. Who's inviting us to pray to ask, seek, and knock? I mean, it's so ironic that Jesus says these words as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Why is that ironic, Pastor Jeff? I don't get why that's ironic. Here's why it's ironic, because Jesus is in the process as he speaks these words of being the answer to our greatest needs. You know, our greatest needs are already provided for in Jesus Christ. He is the yes to all. All of our needs to which a million knows or a million waits pale in comparison. He is the answer, you know, looking at him, hearing this from him, knowing where you stand at this point in history, where I stand at this point in history, that Jesus is already the yes to all of your what, where, how. God has already provided this for you. John Calvin says when we pray, it, was, it is, as it were, through Jesus' mouth. It's through Jesus' mouth. Jesus prays for us. He prays with us. He is himself is the answer to our prayers, and he invites us to join with him. 
And so we pray as it were through the mouth of Jesus to the one who knows our greatest needs and invites us to come to him as dear children. This morning, just a moment, I'm going to invite you to the table. And the table is a testimony in two directions every week. It's a testimony for you who are not Christians that actually God is not your father. Not unless you own him by faith and receive the gift of his salvation through Christ. Those are the ones who are given access to call him father. Even though in this world, lots of people call God father. That's only the property of those who are his adopted children, who are really part of the family. We don't have to do anything to deserve it. We don't have to do anything to merit it. But the second thing that will happen as we come to the table in a moment is it is a testimony to your very senses. Smell the wine. Taste the bread. It's a testimony to your senses that God provides what you need. God provides. He's a good father who knows what you need. And every week we celebrate this. And every week it testifies to us that God is indeed this good to his people. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that Jesus Christ came and offered himself as a substitute for us, as a sacrifice of atonement to bring us into right relationship with you. And yet, Lord, that knowledge, which is all true, very rarely seeps down into our bones. We pray, Father, we offer up our unbelief, our cynicism, our prayerlessness, uh, our, our doubting of uh, you as a good father, our, our, our struggles to believe. Lord, we, we offer ourselves to you this morning. We pray that, Lord, even in this service, that you would change us, or that you would have your way among us, that, Lord, you would fill us with hope. Pray that we would encourage each other as your children, as your spiritual family this morning to trust you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's respond to God in song together.